Good morning, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffBeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on January 30th of 2011 under the headline, Japanese submarine I-25 blasted its way into Oregon history twice. Here we go. In late August 1943, the crew of the destroyer USS Patterson scrambled to battle stations off the coast of what is now Vanuatu, near Australia. The sonar operator had picked up the signature of a big Japanese submarine submerging close by. The Patterson steamed into battle depth charges rolling off the deck and lighting up the sea below, and then on the final depth charge barrage, a deep undersea explosion could be heard, bigger than any depth charge. The Patterson had found its mark. After that day, the most important submarine in the history of the state of Oregon, the Imperial Japanese Navy's I-25, was never heard from again. I-25 was one of the large fleet subs that the Japanese Navy put out to sea during the war. Built in 1939, the boat was 357 feet long and packed a large collection of torpedoes, a 5.5-inch deck gun, and even a disassemblable seaplane. The reason the I-25 is so important to Oregon stems from a visit it paid to the Beaver State the year before it sank. In the course of that visit, the I-25 sank two merchant ships, shelled a coastal battery, and sent its airplane ashore to try to start a forest fire. It left Oregon not that much worse for wear, But the psychological effect was considerable as Oregonians wondered if this were just the beginning and realized that if it was, they'd be right on the front lines. It wasn't, of course, the beginning of anything. It was just a single submarine. A single, very busy submarine. The I-25 left Yokosuka, Japan in spring of 1942 and headed east across the Pacific Ocean, headed for Alaska and points south. Two months and one heavily damaged Canadian freighter later, on the night of June 21, 1942, the sub was following a fleet of fishing boats toward the mouth of the Columbia River. It followed the fishing boats so that if it were picked up on the radar, the operator would think it was just another fishing boat. When it got within range, the boat swung around and the gun crews got the deck cannon ready. Subcommander Meiji Tagami had somehow gotten the impression that there was a submarine base at the mouth of the Columbia, and, although not willing to risk his crew and mission getting close enough to see for sure, he thought a few artillery shells placed in the vicinity would send a valuable message to the Americans. So, under cover of darkness, miles out to sea, the I-25 opened fire. And for the first time ever, the state of Oregon was directly attacked by a wartime enemy. As it turned out, the place the I-25 was shelling was not a sub-base, but a battery Russell at Fort Stevens, and the hostile shellfire had an immediate effect on the place. Soldiers and officers leaped out of bed and started running around, trying to get ready and go help return fire. In the dark, of course, nobody was dumb enough to turn on a light and show the attackers what to shoot at. People tripped over stoves and crashed into trucks and cursed at one another as they scrambled to their battle stations in their underwear. Quote, We looked like hell, Captain Jack R. Wood, commander of the battery, told historian Bert Weber later. 
but we were ready to shoot back in a couple of minutes. They may have been ready, but the orders were to hold their fire. This was for several reasons. First, the big 10-inch guns designed to stop ships from coming into the Columbia would not tilt up high enough to lob shells to the attacking submarine. The 12-inch mortars couldn't reach it either. Shooting back might have made the crews feel better, but it would only have revealed the gun's position, relative size, and range to a submarine that they were pretty sure was on a reconnaissance mission. Perhaps it was shelling the fort in hopes of provoking exactly that response, so that it could then go home and report that a nice big fleet of surface warships sitting ten miles out to sea could pound Fort Stevens with impunity and then sail right up the Columbia River if it wanted to. Obviously that could not be allowed to happen. So Fort Stevens sat there, simmering with collective frustration, and took it. Seventeen shells in all, without so much as a pistol shot in reply. And eventually, the I-25's crew got tired of shelling the dark and unresponsive mainland and put the gun away and left. Behind, they left the smoking wreckage of a baseball diamond backstop, some slightly damaged power lines, and a handful of holes in the ground. The total dollar amount of damage done was probably under twenty bucks. On its next visit to Oregon, the I-25 did better, if better is the right word. It started out on September 9th by launching its onboard seaplane with a couple incendiary bombs and orders to use them to start a forest fire near Brookings. A few years earlier, the town of Bandon had been destroyed when a forest fire got into the gorse thickets and hedges surrounding the town. Hoping to start something similar, Warrant Officer Nobuo Fujita buzzed inland in his tiny fold-up seaplane and gave it a shot, and then came back a few days later and tried again. Nothing came of this, the forest was too damp for an out-of-control burn to get going. But again, the I-25 was making history. It was the only wartime airstrike ever delivered on the American mainland, before or since. Between the airstrikes, Tagami's intrepid crew actually set the big sub down on the seafloor to make it less easy to detect. Several weeks later, the I-25 spotted a big merchant ship sitting still in the water. It was the SS Camden, which was taking a short break while its engineer took care of a couple minor repairs in the engine room. Sixty seconds and two torpedoes later, the ship was on fire. It sank later when its cargo of gasoline exploded while it was being towed to Seattle for salvage. One crew member drowned. The following day, the submarine sank a second ship off Gold Beach, the SS Larry Doheny, an oil tanker. Six people died on this one. After that, the I-25 returned to Japan, stopping along the way to fire its last remaining torpedo into a surfaced Russian submarine. It never returned to Oregon waters. Key sources in this story have included works by Bill McCash, Bert Weber, Don Marshall, and Robert Cressman. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. 
But if you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatoregon.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Vaccara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.